Welcome to Inspired Insights, where we share our conversations with industry experts as we give insight into workforce trends and changes impacting HR and financial professionals. We will cover everything from employee engagement to compliance and regulations impacting your workforce success. Good afternoon and welcome to the Inspired Insights podcast powered by TruePay. I'm your host, Brian Gorman. I am a sales marketing professional and been in the HCM world for about 20 years and I'm excited to be joined by my co-host, Jeff McEwen. Thanks, Brian. Started my career in the Navy doing payroll and accounting, uh, but for the last uh, many years, I've worked in a range of places from hospitality to manufacturing and healthcare done it all from being a solo generalist to an HR manager, and in the last several years really focused here in the HCM software space. Today, I'm really pleased to have a friend of mine and a fellow co-worker, Mitch Byers, is going to join us. Mitch is also SPHR certified professional and who has worked primarily in smaller to mid-sized IT organizations which is where we got to know each other. And he's done a few stints in the medical arena prior to transitioning into the HR role. He spent nine years as a third-party technical recruiter. And I think we're going to hear a lot about recruiting today and how that ties into today's topic. A uh, very charming guy. And uh, boy, you get him to start talking and you realize how knowledgeable he is about a whole range of HR issues. He's put some of this expertise that he has out into the public uh, domain through a book. So he has written a book, Interview Rx. Uh, it's an easy-to-follow guide to help folks in job transition, and two chapters of that book are just dedicated to competencies. So welcome, Mitch. Well, thank you so much. It's nice to be here, and thank you for all the work that you're doing and Brian's doing in the HR space. So, well, well I mentioned it in the introduction, and, and I think we need to start with the fact that our, our topic today is competencies, and I have a feeling it's one of these things that HR professionals probably immediately hear the topic, and they're like, oh, good, yeah, I've heard about competencies. W wait, what? What are those again? So, why don't you start, just give us, give our listeners kind of a good working definition of what you mean or what, the, what is meant by the term competencies. Okay, thank you, Jeff. I'll do that. I actually have four that are from different resources, and it's amazing how closely they are. But if I could read these four, and then I'll kind of summarize it. Uh, the first one is from a book called Competency at Work, a wonderful uh, book and resource. It says it's an underlying characteristic that's causally related to superior performance. The key phrase, superior performance. Uh, Sherm defines it as the knowledge, skills, abilities, and personal attributes that link individuals or teams to enhanced performance. Uh, Workitect, which is a website focused on competency, says there are personal characteristics that drive behavior leading to outstanding performance. And then the final one is from an organizational behaviorist, and he defines competency as an underlying characteristic of an employee that results in effective and or superior performance. So if you kind of combine all of those, you could say that a competency is simply a set of behaviors, a set of activities that drive and end up with superior performance. And this is critical when people are coming into the organization. The hiring manager doesn't want to just hire someone that's going to be okay. They really want that superior performance. And this is, I can't think of a more important decision that a hiring manager has to make than who they hire. And so competencies are also sometimes called the differentiating factors. These, if we can identify what these are, and then interview against them, then we have a higher propensity to succeed 
and for this individual to succeed in our organization. It's not a silver bullet by any means, but it gets you much closer to the middle of the target. Well, it obviously just in, in hearing the definition, it's obvious why this is something then that people, and particularly you in general, have really uh, grabbed a hold of because it's, you know, it's so, you mentioned it's not a magic bullet. And I know sometimes recruiting is like finding a needle in a haystack. So any of those old uh, uh, adages would apply, but it sounds like this is really going to get you closer to your ideal candidate. Well, not only will it get you closer to your ideal candidate, uh, it, it, it has so many uh, attributes to it. Like just there's a process that you go through. There's a list of competencies and there's many which you can use. But ultimately, say from the 30 or 35 competencies, I typically work with the hiring managers and narrow that down to maybe the top five or the top six needed for a given role. So those competencies, behaviors, if you will, actually get dropped into the job description. That's the first thing that happens. Mm -hmm. The second thing that happens is on the, if the hiring manager says, hey, Mitch, these are the top competencies, these are the top behaviors, well, then we need to begin to screen against those to ensure the candidate has those or at least some of those. And just in that process, in that discussion, with managers or the managers of a larger team, they really begin to focus in on what's really important. And so it's a great exercise just for the manager. And then the behavioral interview questions, which are you're asking questions of candidates, tell me about a time when this situation occurred or what would you do if this situation occurred? And so you're beginning to see their behaviors. And then you can then marry those to a scoring guide, if you will, to determine if someone's more of a novice, more of an intermediary, uh, or more advanced or even an expert within that competency. That also gives a, I would argue, a more objective decision that's made at the end of who they do select because they can compare candidates, not just against skills and experience, but against the behaviors uh, that they're really looking for for a role. So, so Mitch, when you were talking there, I, I've, in my head, I'm thinking um, skills, and you just mentioned skills, right? So what is the difference between skills and, and competencies? Thank you. Thank you. So I would say a skill is a subset or part of a competency, and I know that you're, you have a sales background. And mm -hmm. so one could say that I've been in sales for 20 years, so you obviously have skills selling something. But a competency just, it creates the right behaviors within that selling skills. What are the behaviors that you can identify that, that not only make you do well, but just make you at the very, very top of the game? So it's that kind of that limited set, not just skills, but the, the behaviors. It's like, what are you doing with your skills and how are you using those skills? So it's a much, it's much more of a finite uh, part of the skill set, if you will. It's, it's really think of it as kind of the motivation. Uh, what is the internal, your internal motivation to kind of push you to the very top? And that's, I would say, one, one of the differences. Um, and competencies are, you know, the good news is if you don't have them, if you can identify which ones you want to work on, uh, you can begin to work on those. So this leads me to maybe also say this, if on the front side, you're developing a competency model in which to interview against and hire against, then I would also suggest that you could have the competency model as part of the, both the performance review process as well as the development of individuals, as well as 
you know, if I was, let's say I went into an organization and I was a salesperson for that organization and I knew what my competencies were. And in two or three years, I was at the top of my game. I was doing really well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of heard through the grapevine that the sales manager may be leaving in six months or a year. Well, if I was the smart salesperson and I wanted that job, I would begin to think, okay, I've got the competencies for a salesperson. I think the competencies for a sales manager is going to be different. I want to figure that out and then start exhibiting the competencies of a sales manager so that when that position comes open, will be a no brainer of who they're going to hire. So a competency model, if I can just give you in the audience, maybe an example of, of, uh, of a competency model, I just jotted down a few. So in sales, which we just mentioned, you might expect someone to have strong relationship building skills, which is, you know, a lot of people have that, but most importantly then is that persuasion. Yes, I can communicate, but can I really get you to think from, move from thinking about framework of A over here to B and interpersonal understanding, truly understanding the needs of that individual and then that follow-up, that customer service orientation. So those are four specific to sales in technology. And this is where I've spent a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. There's one that, that really moves a person from good to great. So you expect a certain amount of expertise in their field, whatever that might be. Also analytical thinking and information seeking are two critical. But the one that I've seen people go from just being okay to great is that teamwork and cooperation. Not everyone in IT has that. But when they do, it's just they can move mountains. Uh, in training, this, this one's for Jeff. Uh, in training, uh, a competency model might be developing others. And again, persuasion. You're trying to train them to use maybe a piece of software. or You're trying to use them, uh, trying to uh, move them in a, in a new pattern of behaviors. And then integrity, they have to trust you. Uh, and then self-control. For any position whether it's you know, a call center agent or a CEO or all points in between, there's going to be a model that creates a superior performance. From a marketing and sales perspective too, I think that uh, this can help. You're right, to your point, Mitch, about um, managing to those competencies. Maybe somebody has one or two that they're good at initially. And well, if they you know, start to exhibit you know, two, three, and four, we can help manage them to those other competencies and really help them to grow in their careers as well. So Maybe what, what was your introduction to competencies, Mitch? And what do you think it is about them that really got you so excited about it? Well, I was introduced to them, I guess, in the early 2000s. And I don't remember exactly when it all started. But I, I do remember that book that, uh, that Jeff mentioned. It was actually self-published prior to a publisher picking it up. And it didn't have the chapters about the competencies. So uh, it had a lot to do with recruiting and interviewing and things of that nature. And the publisher said, Mitch, it's just not, it's just not big enough. You need a couple more chapters. And, and so I was just diving into competencies at that time. And you can think of competencies as a system, if you will, as a system that has many applications in the employee life cycle. And again, it starts back at the uh, job description and the interview. But also, uh, you can set people up for success and development and also the performance review. You know, I, I think a great performance review would... Uh, encapsulate these core competencies. It would also encapsulate the success of your projects and it also encapsulate maybe skills, core skills that you need that are different than the competencies. Like maybe if you're a developer and uh, you're, a, say, a novice at Java, one of your 
goals is to move from a novice to an intermediate for the next you know, six months to any month, something of that nature. So these can be the, I, I guess I really was attracted to them because I just saw so many different applications. And then I actually started using them first actually in, in a sales position. Uh, we had very high turnover for our loans, uh, which was a, it was a home healthcare company, very high turnover. And it's like, why is that? And so we did a number of things, uh, but one of the things we introduced was the competency model and began to do behavior interviews. And, and we also did ride-alongs and things of that nature. And, and we ended up hiring much, much better people. You know, it's interesting. The, the term competent, right? Let's just take the, the root word there. I feel like is so much more at the base level right? Like, well, he's competent at that, right? He's, he's okay. And so it's really been interesting to hear how often you've used the words like excellence and superior and where to, you're saying that the competencies really help to identify the people who are likely going to be at the high end. And it's an interesting juxtaposition there that I feel like the, the root word is, is almost the opposite end of the spectrum. Very insightful, very insightful. You know, some, some leaders believe in assessments and, and you can, and there are assessments against competencies. Uh, but I use this as kind of an internal tool and I marry, marry this with other assessments. And the idea is it's so difficult. Again, going back to that hiring decision being one of the most important, if not the most important decision. And yet you have such a short time, we'll call it dating, right? So after like two dates, you say, will you marry me? And, that, and that's got to be scary uh, for both the candidate and for the hiring manager because there's so many unknowns. Mm -hmm. And the competency modeling, the behavioral interviewing, along with other assessments, that just gives, it, it slows the process down a little bit, but enough where you can begin to capture some really important data points and then ultimately do make the best hiring decision based on marketplace activity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the competencies, I, I want to, if I can, we've been speaking about it just for the the position itself, but you could also think about competencies for, say, the the marketing department or for the sales department, uh, where it's like everyone in the department needs these competencies, no matter what the level. You can also think about it for a division. Maybe it's the uh, the, the customer success division, or you can also think of it at, at the company level as well. So there's a lot of variations, and uh, most people that use competencies start at the individual level just because it's just a little easier to figure out but you could also as you do competency models you can begin to think about does this line up is there alignment with our mission with the overall mission with our cultural values uh, with our departmental goals and so it's it's just part of the puzzle piece uh, but it can add so much richness uh, to the uh, hiring experience the development experience and can support the underlying framework is already within the organization. It's not meant to uh, make drastic changes. It's really just meant to capture what's probably already there and system uh, and and create a system around it, if you will. Well, you just hit on a term that that I wanted to touch on, and that is culture. Uh, we yeah. hear so much about corporate culture now and company culture and the need to uh, know what your culture is and to establish your culture, and that um, if you don't establish and declare it, you still have one. <laughs> it may not be the one that you want. <laughs> Do you have maybe a story where you've used it or a specific example of, of how identifying competency structure uh, could impact culture? 
you know, there's, let's just take teamwork, right? Teamwork and cooperation, which is a competency. And also it shows up many times as, as one of the value statements of the organization. And I've actually used that in several companies. It's like, let's, when there's a manager that's having an issue or an employee that's having an issue, it's like, hey, this is stated as part of our culture. Let's actually figure out what is teamwork and cooperation. What are those behaviors? And then you just talk to people and, and you get them talking about from their perspective what does teamwork and cooperation look like. Um, and so it's a way to help kind of drive, because a lot of times, you know, your first day of orientation at a new company, you see the cultural values, the mission statement, and then they're gone forever. So it's really up to, I would say, HR can lead the charge, but it's really up to the senior leaders and the leaders to be the cultural stewards, uh, to live and breathe those, but also to, I guess, propagate those through conversations. Uh, and I would argue that also those cultural values need to show up on the performance reviews as well. And, and they need to be reflective of the culture. Like you said, even if they're not written down, every company has a culture. Mm -hmm. So some companies are a little bit misguided in that they'll create cultural values that are aspirational. And there's nothing wrong with having aspirational cultural values. But if you say this is our culture today and people don't experience that culture today, then they're not going to have a very high level of trust. And there'll probably be some, I won't say resentment, but uh, that just won't be a high level of trust. So you really have to identify what are the cultural values today. And I think you can marry those and support those with these competencies. Um, and so it becomes all part of this really beautifully put together jigsaw puzzle that helps brand, if you will, identify and help people associate with uh, the organization. So again, it's, you know, competencies aren't meant to be a standalone. They're meant to kind of be a mirror in a way and to complement and to help organize and, and uh, to be integrated uh, in various forms uh, so that the company can thrive by having the right systems in place. You know, if you think about just successful companies, they're all smart and they all have good people, but I think the difference is they have these certain systems that they follow that, that, that enable them to kind of shortcut the rest of the world because they know how to do things yeah. and, and do them well. And, and that's actually their competency, understanding their systems at work. And so you can think of a, a competency and competency model as, as a system that, that you can use uh, to um, as, as a really successful system mm. on the, on the human capital front. And Mitch, you mentioned, um, you know, being organized integration systems and that kind of leads us right into the next question about you know, HR technology, yeah. um, like an HCM system. How, how can that type of a solution help with competencies? Yeah, so that great question. When Jeff and I were working together, I was organizing some things in our internal system. And a lot of these have to do with going back to the job description. You know, I'm assuming that that's going to be in the system. And when a job opens uh, or reopens, then you take a look at it and make changes. So, so certainly you could store the competency model within the job description. You could also uh, create departmental and even uh, overall competency models for the organization. So that could be stored in there, but also those behavior interviews could be stored in there, right? 
Uh, and then I think maybe where the long term, if you think about someone being at a company, so you can imagine if they did performance reviews, say twice a year, you know, they're going to cycle through eight or nine performance reviews. So what if there was a system that could utilize competency? So I would say that that would be a fantastic place uh, and a system to, to track it as the performance reviews are kicked out uh, to begin to measure those. And what happens is they, they become somewhat organic in that it can be that if you hire someone at, say, I, I hate to use the word junior level, but so I'll call it associate level, you're going to expect them to have certain competencies to be successful. And in three years, uh, that competency model may change because of their broadened experience, yes, but more importantly, they're going to be doing different things. They're going to be taking on more responsibilities. And so that, that model is somewhat organic and alive and well as, as that job changes and as they change and also as the organization changes. So I think that a system uh, could house uh, the, the model and all of its variations and uses. And then also uh, systems are great for identifying, you know, in succession planning, as those types of systems. And certainly competency models can be a part of that. So you gave a number earlier, I think you said, something about 35 competencies or something that you identified. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that within the Sherm body of knowledge that a lot of our listeners will be familiar with what they refer to as the Bach, the body of competencies and and knowledge. There are eight competencies that they point out for an HR leader, 15 areas of knowledge. So they make a distinction Mm -hmm. there. What would you say is kind of an average number if somebody's thinking that, okay, I'm going to go out there and try and nail down these competencies. And I'm sure there's a range. But, you know, for any one given position, I mean, is eight the low end and 35 the high end or what do you think? Yeah, well, well thank you. And the, the competency key, I call it, or the competency list I have is it, it depends on which one I pick out, but usually it's around 35 or 40. There are some companies, their list is much broader, like 70 or 80 competencies. And they, and they have a very sophisticated system, very sophisticated scoring system, and it's pretty amazing what they do. But I would argue for most companies, especially if they're smaller to mid-size, they don't need that robust of a system, if you will. So I, mine is pretty straightforward, pretty simple, and it covers probably 90% of all the competencies that you're going to need. Now, to answer your question more directly, what I typically do is I'm going to call it professionals. So for the pro- professional level, I like about anywhere from uh, four to six, about four to six competencies. And then on top of that, if they're a leader or soon to be leader, I'll add maybe another three competencies. But keep in mind, you start with the list or the competency key, and then you narrow it down. One, one thing that I do in my talks, I give talks from time to time to job transition groups in North Texas. It's a wonderful way to give back to the community. And the very first thing we do in this talk is we go through a little 10-minute exercise. And the participants have the list, and I'll get them to go through it and begin to check off the ones that somehow they're associated with, then narrow it down to their top six, and then rank order those one to six. And then I have volunteers stand up and and share with a group their top six. And where my fun comes in is I try to figure out what they do for a living, Hmm. uh, just based on their competencies. And I don't always get it right, but it's always a fun exercise. When you do that, I would argue that anytime you raise your own self-awareness, then you're going to just be better placed, uh, whether you're already working 
whether you want to move up the corporate ladder or maybe even completely move into something different. You know, if, especially like if you're like stuck in a job or an industry that you, you just, you're maybe not quite sure why it's not fitting. Sometimes just something as simple as uh, an exercise like this, and maybe some other assessments, will give you just a lot of clarity in why it's not working and maybe even possibly where you need to go. So if I'm an HR professional and maybe today I'm not using these in my evaluation of my candidates or my job descriptions or my performance evaluations, how do I get started? Do you have any tips or tools other than your book, obviously, which would be a good place to start, right? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a hundred books on the subject, but one of the best website, it's called workatech.com. And it, it's, it's really got some great information. And so I would, I would ask someone just to review that first uh, and then maybe just do, I've got a couple of books here uh, on my desk uh, that I could, I'll be happy to share. One's called Building Robust Competencies, uh, The Art and Science of Competency Models, mm. Competency-Based Recruitment and Selection, and then Competence at Work. And all, all four of those have been, I bought those 15 years ago, so they've been around a long time. And, uh, and there's others as well. But I would say, if you like competencies, I would just start with your own competency model, like figure out your own and see if it's engaging to you. If it's engaging to you and you get excited about it, well, then get others involved. And I might suggest starting with a manager that's approachable and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to figure out these competencies for your positions. Could we meet and figure it out together? And, and just do a little pilot program. And, and then once you have the model, then you can say, okay, well, let's say if um, the model looks like achievement orientation, entrepreneurship, flexibility, and strategic thinking, well, what interview questions can you begin to ask that would uncover those behaviors? And at the end of chapter seven in the book, there's a bunch of interview questions that you can use mm. <laughs> against, each other, uh, against each of the competencies. Uh, the, the, the key I might say to behavioral interviewing, there's many keys, but one of them is to be sure to follow up with probing secondary questions. So many people say, well, tell me about a time that you showed initiative and they'll have a great story, something they've told a hundred times. But the key to understanding that and to really see if they have the competency is, well, tell me why you made that decision and did that decision offend anyone and, mm -hmm. and really kind of get in and dig uh, and, and so my general advice to managers is don't go so wide, but pick those competencies and go deep with those mm. and you'll be much better off. Um, and if you need more information later, come back and talk to them. But initially, you know, not so wide, but go deep. Mm. Um, and so that's where I would start. I think just a self-assessment and then begin to work with a manager and just do a handful and just see if they work. All right, Mitch, now on to some fun questions. Okay. <laughs> if those weren't really fun already, right? <laughs> how, how did you get into human resources in the first place? Maybe share your story about how you got into the yeah. field. Well, I certainly was not prepared, trained, or even had an interest in it. Let me just say that. So, <laughs> and, and, so I was doing a lot of recruiting, technical recruiting. And in 2005, uh, I gave a talk to the SHRM conference in Fort Worth called HR Southwest. And it was on job descriptions because they were so poorly written. And uh, as a participant or as a speaker at the SHRM conference, you actually get in free and you get to go to all the talks and this, that, and the other. 
And so for two and a half days, I was in all of these training sessions. And I remember coming home on a Wednesday afternoon thinking, wow, you know, HR is so different. And I'm glad I experienced that. But those HR people, they're really different. And I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm not in HR. <laughs> train of thought. And then about, oh, about maybe eight or nine months later, I end up, instead of, I moved from the third party to corporate recruiting. And I was the director of, of corporate recruiting uh, for this medical firm that was, they wanted to be all over Texas. And they were pretty small. They were only 80 people. So after about six months, they, they had never had an HR leader. And they said they need an HR leader. And I said, okay, well, I'll get the job posted. And they just said, no, you don't need to post it. We know who it is. And I'm going, okay, great. You know, let me know. I'll get the offer letter together. And they just had this big <laughs> smile on their face. I said, Mitch, you're going to be our HR leader. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, my God, I'm doing what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. There's no way. And they go, no, just think about it. So anyway, I reluctantly, very reluctantly, uh, accepted that position. But as it turned out, it was just the most beautiful experience. And... Um, and it was trial by fire, but we, we ended up winning uh, three of the four years I was there. We ended up winning best places to work. And I just learned so much. So, you know, so Gary Castleberry and Mark Pierce, so they're my heroes. They, they drug me into HR uh, yelling and screaming. <laughs> well, you were reluctant to get in. So you probably were one of these people who had a certain perception of HR. Now that you're on the other side for a while, what misconceptions do you think exist out there about HR that maybe you would like to dispel? Yeah, well, and you know, I, I pretty much grew up, my whole professional life was with working with family owned or really small organizations. And except for one or two, there was really very little, if no HR presence. So I you know, I didn't really know much about HR, to be honest, uh, other than I was involved in some litigation and I had to, at trial, I had to, you know, talk or whatever. And that, and I got, I got to know the HR person pretty well. That was pretty interesting. But um, I think maybe one of the misconceptions, and I don't know if it's a misconception, you know, there's people in, in HR sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they see the world as pretty black and pretty white. And they're always going to err on the side of whatever that is. And, 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 and sometimes they don't have the empathy. Sometimes they don't have the active listening skills that they need. Um, and sometimes they're just so policy driven and they don't necessarily explain the reason behind the policy. They just kind of throw the policy at you. So I can appreciate all of those that have been impacted by that. And, you know, the old saying says, the old saying is, you know, it, it only takes a few bad apples to spoil the whole bunch. And so maybe that is the, um, maybe that's one of the, the misperceptions. There's some very, very caring uh, individuals that, you know, HR is a support function, much like accounting, uh, much like maybe a call center or whatever. And so it's typically underfunded. The people are overworked. And they're just kind of scrambling to keep on top of things. And uh, NHR also isn't always valued maybe as much as it could be or should be at the strategic level. So there's a lot of, I think, structural things that could, that the leaders, the senior leaders could do to help better raise up uh, HR. And there's a ton of stuff that HR leaders and HR professionals can do to improve themselves as well. 
Um, you know, there's, it's such a joy to be in the middle kind of of the company. There's not much that happens in an organization uh, that doesn't go through HR. And if you can be that true, true, true business partner and really be client facing and client focused and really there to create value, if you can just do that day in and day out, you'll just gain so much respect and so much maybe not power, that's really the wrong word, but so much influence. And it's pretty amazing to have that much influence within an organization when you're in this little bitty department of like two or three or four, but yet you, you, uh, you weld quite a bit of influence. Of course, you have to really protect that and make the right decisions, uh, but that's pretty amazing. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping with the education that's provided through SHRM, the certification programs, uh, that more and more people will, will will rise up. We want to thank you for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time and, and expertise and, and competencies and very much enjoyed your conversation. Thank you to Mitch Byers for joining us today. And thank you to everyone who listened or watched our discussion today. And we hope that you'll be back again. If you have any suggested topics or guests for future episodes, or if you would like to be a guest, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us at inspiredinsights at truepay.com. This podcast is powered by TruePay, a single sign-on HCM technology provider supported by a team that strives for your success. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email inspiredinsights at truepay.com.